You know, we have been talking on this, this, uh, the promise in the scriptures of an intimate pattern of prayer. And uh, we've been talking about the essentials that we need to have uh, in our life. That Jesus said that we need in prayer the essentials to make prayer meaningful to us. And so um, I want to talk to you again about that. We're working our way through Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 11. But then I, kinda, I felt led uh, just to give you some encouragements. Um, sometimes as you're trying to learn new things, sometimes you just get so much information, you only can learn so much so fast. And so sometimes I need a little encouragement. Yeah, I got all this, I got this plethora of information, you know, that I'm supposed to try to be deciphering. But, but um, sometimes I just need a little time to take it in and I need some encouragement to do that. And so I want to encourage you today. Today is a, a, just an encouragement to take the next steps to meaningful prayer. We've been looking at that pretty in a pretty detailed way. You remember what we talked about, I mean, what we were, our text is here, Luke chapter 11, and uh, verses 1 to 4. We've been looking at what Jesus said, that we, uh, when Philip asked him how, you know, Lord, to teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, or even better, it says, Abba, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And we've gotten down so far to the forgiving everyone who sins against us. And this is how God opens his grace up to us is when we're willing to forgive others, we know that he will forgive us. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago in Luke 11. I want to read to you another text in Matthew 11, okay? Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, familiar one for you, but very significant and also has been referenced today in talking about the rest of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Very, very needful understanding of what Jesus wants to give us if we want to have a meaningful prayer life. We've been learning about what Jesus taught us, again, with those essentials about prayer. Jesus, first of all, began, he says we need to first of all begin a prayer, um, just a, a daily habit of prayer uh, and learning to worship the Father. He said we should address God as Father, particularly Abba Father. And so uh, we first of all come to God prioritizing focus on God's person, a focus on God's person. Then Jesus said we move from that then down to God's program. Your kingdom come, and Matthew talks about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus says, then we focus on the advancement of God's kingdom. Uh, Thy will be done. And after that, we should then focus on God as our provision provider. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, give us what we need today. And again, we talked about we all have refrigerators and freezers, and so a lot of times we have enough stored up food that, that um, the disciples never dreamed that they could have refrigerators. You know, there'd be refrigerators someday. But they, we still, the point of the text is this, is that we will remember that God is the provider. And even though we have a stock, a good freezer with a lot of meat in it or a good refrigerator with plenty of supplies, that we have that because God is the provider. He is our provision provider. 
Jesus then said, we focus upon our spiritual needs. We trust him for our spiritual needs, our spiritual pardon, that as we forgive those who offend us, God is able to uh, forgive us. As we, as we forgive others, he's able to forgive us. Grace of the grace of the Lord, our faith opens up, and we're able to receive God's forgiveness. Loved ones, I want to remind you that prayer is only an earthly activity. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? It's only an earthly activity, and we won't be doing this in heaven. There's no prayers in heaven. We never read of anybody praying in heaven because prayer is a faith activity. It's a faith activity. We have to have faith in order to pray meaningfully. And in heaven, no one will have faith. Right now, we, we walk by faith and not by sight. In heaven, we will have sight. We will see the invisible God. We now believe by faith. We believe it exists by faith. In heaven, we will see him face to face, and we won't need faith then. And we won't no longer need prayer either. There'll be a lot of things we won't need. We won't need the sun either. (laughs) We won't need a lot of things we need here. We won't need there because he is all things. He will be all those things to us. He will take care of us. So there's something though right now though we see him quote unquote see him by faith. We see Jesus, we see the Father, we see him by faith. And let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer is one of those is one of those activities, it's one of those tools that we use to express our faith and also to kind of uh, to use our faith and it helps us to to um, if you will, hone it. It helps us to perfect it. The Word of God also does that. It helps us, God's truth, God's Word helps us to develop our faith. But prayer is one of those tools that it's really essential that we practice, that we learn to practice it because it's taking care of our faith. It, it nurtures it. Someone has said that attempting to practice meaningful prayer now is proof that your faith really matters to you. I think that's really something that we ought to write down. Talking about me. That practicing, learning how to pray, learning it to pray in a meaningful manner is an indicator that I'm concerned for the health of my faith. The invisible quality I have that connects me to the invisible God. Hmm. When I was a youngster, sometimes I was negligent. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, I was negligent of the responsibilities that my parents were trying to teach me. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was somewhere around nine years old, I uh, had a desire for a dog. And uh, I wanted a dog more than anybody else. I wanted a dog more than my brother did. I wanted a dog more than my sisters did. And so I, I got a dog. I got a collie dog. Collies are wonderful. I, I was a Lassie fan when I was a kid. I loved watching Lassie on TV and, you know, and, and Timmy and all those people. And, and I, I loved it. And I wanted a collie dog. And so we got a collie dog. And it was David's dog. And it was my responsibility to take care of that dog. All the way from feeding the dog, making sure the dog had water, to cleaning up all the messes the dog would make in the yard, you know, and all that. And also the notorious, oh boy, it was horrible. Every spring, my dog shed her winter coat and collies have long hair and it was a mess. I tell you, I brushed hours on that dog and you just get so much. 
fur out of out of collies. Anyway, sometimes I I was nine or ten. I could you know I was a kid and I had other things I wanted to do besides out there taking care of my wonderful dog. And sometimes I neglected my dog and in those respects. I mean I always made sure she was fed and watered, but but. Um, my dog, especially on, in springtime, my, my parents would say, David, don't you care about your dog? Don't you care about your dog? And with a lowered head, I'd, I'd respond with a sheepish, yes. And they'd respond, then David, act like it. Go take care of your dog. If you love that dog, act like it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I've had to say that same thing to my kids. I'm sure, I don't remember, but I'm sure I, I said that to them. You know, some, uh, uh, and let me tell you, sometimes I'm not sure if it's me or if it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe he's gently asking me some of this question sometimes in a similar way. David, don't you care about your faith? Don't you care about your faith? Then act like it. You know, God is the best of fathers, isn't he? (laughs) And so that's why prayer is meaningful because it helps us to take care of our faith. It helps us to, that's why it's important. I'm trying to give you some encouragement here to maybe sometimes we can have all the encouragement in the world, but sometimes we just need that little extra boot if you will, from the Lord, sometimes from our parents, get out there and take care of that dog. (laughs) And sometimes the Lord does that to to us. You know, don't you care about your faith? Then stop putting off learning about prayer. Get going. And he does it in the most loving, kind way. He's not mean about it. You know, God's God's not unkind about it. But none of us, loved ones, are perfect at prayer. But practicing reveals us in a very sincere heart. When you make attempts at learning how to pray, it, it reflects, it reveals a sincere heart to be sure. Again, prayer on earth is not meant to be drudgery or burdensome activity. It's meant to be important and meaningful and a way of life that is natural as brushing your teeth. <laughs> yeah, as brushing your teeth or, or bathing. Someone said, oh, pastor, I don't really brush my teeth. I don't, mate, I don't maintenance my teeth. And well, I tell you, if you don't, it's going to be evident pretty soon because gonna, you're going to lose them. There's just some things we have to do in order to maintain our health, you know. You can always tell when somebody's not bathing, can't you? <laughs> you ever sit down in a concert next to somebody or at a store with somebody and think they haven't bathed for a while, you know? Because it requires maintenance. We, our bodies require maintenance for us to, uh, you know, to be healthy. Amen? Yeah. And it's the same way, loved ones, with our faith. It, it, our faith requires, it requires our attention. We just don't get faith in Jesus and just, oh, hum, and just, you know, li- discipleship in Jesus requires our attention. And uh, it requires us to, you know, to make sure we're nurturing it. Uh, the Apostle Peter said it's the most precious of gifts that we have. It's like, it's more precious than gold. And so we, we need to take care of it. Um, you know, it's, uh, if you, um, you know, if you don't pray, 
Loved ones, I'm going to tell you, your faith will be weak. It's just like if you don't brush your teeth, you will lose them. If you don't maintenance your teeth, uh, you're going you're gonna to have problems. And if you don't pray, you will, your faith will be weak. I remember I uh, used to see these little plaques everywhere, like in Christian bookstores, that, that yeah, I'm sure you've seen them, that, that little phrase that says, seven days without prayer makes one weak. Remember? A little play on words there. Seven days without prayer makes one weak. Yeah. Now, I'm not telling you this to shame anybody. I'm just trying to encourage you today. And your weakness in prayer doesn't cause God to love you less. No, 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 no. That's not what this is. Just, just the opposite. You know, my parents loved me. That's why they insisted that I learn to brush my teeth. <laughs> right? And that's why God loves, God loves us. And Jesus has encouraged us and points out the necessity of prayer to strengthen our faith. Jesus said that we ought always to pray and not give up because there are times when trials come. And proper prayer, of course, is a, is a discipline. We just have to learn to do it. My parents knew that when I was finally maturing, you know what? Because they didn't have to tell me to take a bath. They thought, he's grown up. You know, uh, he, I, they, I don't need to tell him to wash behind his ears. I mean, I got some of those spit baths with my mother cleaned out my ears on the way to church. Oh, hated that. You know, she'd lick a, a I don't know, her hanky or something and clean up my, oh man, I hated that. Um, so I, I learned real quick, take care of that yourself, you know. Um, but my parents knew that I was maturing when I finally didn't have to be told, you know, David, make your bed before you go to school, you know. Didn't have, to be, didn't have to remind me every day. David, uh, you know what day it is. You're supposed to be taking the trash out today. David, you know what day it is. Your room is supposed to be straightened up today. You know, when I finally started doing those things on my own, when I actually saw a piece of paper on the floor and instead of stepping over it, I actually stopped and picked it up and put it in the trash. They knew, oh, oh we've made it. He's, he's, he's growing up. He's, he's learning. He's maturing. You know, you ever wondered that about the Lord? I know he doesn't act that way, but when he sees us starting to pray and start doing things, they, oh, they're growing up. They're finally, they're, they're, they're maturing. Uh, let me tell you, practicing prayer it really, in, in a consistent manner, helps you to grow up spiritually, doesn't it? You know, the, the disciples, they really saw the effectiveness of Jesus' prayer life. And they, they saw that prayer wasn't drudgery to Jesus. It, it, it strengthened him. It, it didn't make him miserable. And after Jesus prayed, something always good seemed to happen. Something wonderful happened. Prayer enhanced his life. It, uh, and again, they said, Jesus, what's your secret, basically? Teach us to pray. What's your secret? And remember, it's interesting. We've mentioned this before, but it's the only thing in the Bible that we know of where the disciples said, Lord, teach us to do this. They didn't, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, teach us how to raise ministry funds or how to love other people. They always asked to learn that they said, I, we want to know how to pray. And loved ones, let me tell you, the devil is so skillful at discouraging you to, to not pray. He's able to say words to you, uh, that words that are full of fear and unbelief to get you to, to not practice prayer. You're, you're you know, saying things like, you're, you're no good at this, you need to give up, you don't, you don't know the right words, you, you, you failed in prayer the last two days, you, you've neglected prayer for a week, now you may as well quit for good. You know, um, I thought you loved God, don't, don't you care, you know, um, you're unworthy. Boy, he knows how to say it. You're a failure. How can, you, how can you ask God to help you again? You haven't even prayed for 
no two weeks, and on and on and on it goes. The Apostle Paul says that the devil uses all kinds of fiery darts, and those are fiery darts. When you hear those accusations, those are darts, those are fiery arrows. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Apostle Paul's talk, talking about, he uses those darts aimed at discouraging you from believing that God is good, that God loves you, and that God offers you rest, and he is encouraging you, and it's not nearly as horrible, not even close as what the devil is telling you. Matter of fact, <laughs> uh, it's a lie. The devil always lies to us. And again, all these things can be hurled at us by Satan by these fiery darts. But Paul says, he says, but, he says this, take up the shield of faith which you can and by which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So you see how faith is so important. The devil is after your faith. He wants your faith to be weak. He wants it to be non-existent. So he's after that. He's wanting to steal the nugget from your life. That precious gold nugget that Peter talks about. He wants to steal that. The devil does. Wants to steal it from your loved ones. And, and faith is what you want to hold on to. And, and, you want, and, you, and, and you realize God wants to help you to strengthen it. He, Jesus, he wouldn't give us something to do that we couldn't do. And uh, faith isn't just solely a, a positive mental attitude. It's not that. Faith is seriously believing what God says to you in scripture. It, it does not just believe in some religious rituals divorced from God's actual presence. But faith is, is believing that God, listen, faith is this. It's believing that he really exists. He really exists. He's real. And get this. This is the second part of it. That he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. That faith believes God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in this invisible God that has made himself real through a general revelation of creation and through, the, through the, the word of God itself, the scriptures, as well as through the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, you know, this faith is, is real. And we believe that, that God, is, God is real, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder if we do what he says, if we seek his face, if we obey him. When I was a boy back in the 1960s, my dad uh, would always wake us up Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. in the morning. The way the school schedule was, uh, school started to see uh, in the elementary school and stuff, it was about 8 o'clock, and, and uh, high school started around uh, uh, 7.40, if I remember right, back in those days. Um, but uh, he always woke us up at 6 o'clock for family devotions, and we'd go out to the kitchen table, we'd sit there for about 15 minutes, we'd have devotions and time of prayer, and then we'd get breakfast and get, get off in time for school. On Saturdays, however, we got to sleep in a little bit, usually, uh, but uh, better not go not too much past 8 o'clock, or you'd have Dad in the room after you. <laughs> but uh, on Sundays, it was a little different. <clears throat> On Sundays, my dad would not come into our rooms to wake us up, but he would, uh, back in those days, you had a stereo player, it was a huge thing, and he, would, he had a bunch of LPs, uh, you know, records, long-playing long re records that he would stack up on the stereo, you know, and on the player, and then he would just simply turn it on, turn the 
volume up loud enough where we could hear it. And so he never came in to wake us up. But a lot of, uh, um, for, for many years, I, I'd hear those, those LPs playing. And it was basically to alert us that it was the Lord's Day and we needed to get up and prepare for breakfast and get ready to go to Sunday school and church by 9 o'clock. You know, I heard those LPs many years, many years growing up when I was just a little, a little boy. And I'm quite surprised how the Holy Spirit impressed the spiritual truths upon my soul. Before, the one, there's one record, uh, I think it's by Tennessee Ernie Ford, that, uh, where he's singing some hymns, and it's right in front of the hymn, Give to the Wind Thy Fears. It's a great hymn. It's a great hymn for Becky and me right now. But it's a, it's, a, it's a hymn that talks about giving to the wind your fears, tr- trusting the Lord. And it was actually translated by John Wesley in, uh, from, from the German, from the German language. But there's a small exhortation just uh, that was given uh, about the nature of faith just before the song. Before he would give this little exhortation, then he, would, then he would sing the hymn. And so I heard that for years. I mean, literally years. I'd hear that same record, and as well as many others being played. And um, I found this little exhortation on the nature of faith to be true. And it has guided me at times when my faith felt weak. And this is what the cell goes. The finding of faith is not unlike a scientific experiment. You start with an assumption. You test it and then confirm or disprove it. So if you know someone who isn't sure about the power of faith, tell him to act as though he had it until there's an opening for God to come through. I'm going to read that again. The finding of faith is not unlike a scientific experiment. You start with the assumption, you test it, then confirm or disprove it. So if you know someone who isn't sure about the power of faith, tell him to act as though he had it until there's an opening for God to come through. And once that, God will come through. When you show the sincerity that you believe He exists, that He's going to keep His word, that He rewards those who seek after Him, He will come through. But once let your faith, let your trust rest in Jesus, even as you learn to pray. He'll help you to learn to pray. He'll help you. For all things are in him. Corey Tenboom used to say this. Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. In Matthew chapter 11. Let me just kind of wind this down for us today. And you know what that means? Another half an hour. No, I'm, I'm going to give. I'll, I'll get that before that. But in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is denouncing the towns there. He uh, denouncing the towns that have not believed him. He said uh, he'd gone to these towns, Capernaum and other towns, and he had done some spectacular miracles of setting people free from their bondage to sin, from their restlessness uh, in sin and, and all these things. And people just looked and they didn't believe. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They, they didn't believe. And so he talked about how that God was going to bring great judgment upon these people. Um, as, even though people there had been set free from their sin and disease. Um, 
Most of the population refused to believe and to become like children, ready to believe and become pliable like clay in the Father's hands or a blank page ready for God to write his instructions upon. But Jesus says further that only the Father knows him, he said, and, 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 I, only know the, and, and I know the Father and also those to whom I choose to reveal him. And then Jesus says something further that is remarkable and it's this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Loved ones, there is such an abundance in these words that we can only touch on a few aspects right now. But this statement of Jesus about himself is really an amazing statement. It is a culmination of all that God has promised from Genesis chapter 3.15 where he's told Adam and Eve, he said, there will come one who will crush the Satan's head. There will come one who will restore rest to creation. Because you remember what happened. You know, Adam and Eve, uh, they were created on day six. And the next day, God rested. All creation came to a rest. Adam and Eve were not intended to toil with sweat and thorns and thistles. They were intended to, to build a garden, to, to plant a garden and to nurture a garden throughout all the earth. That's what God gave them to do. That was their job. Never would they sweat. Never would they find the work hard. They would find it fulfilling and, and good because all creation was at rest. Because God had created it. It was all at peace. And then the serpent came and took the rest away. When Adam and Eve, when they, when they submitted to, to the devil, he took all the rest away. The sin came in and God had to curse the earth. And now, and now men and women, they are in bondage to evil and their lives are a wreck and they're, 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 they're given to all kinds of habits that are destroying their life and the whole world is against itself and the world's fighting and there's wars and all kinds of restlessness. This is because the devil took away God's rest when Adam and Eve, when they, when they sinned. A couple chapters later, we have a lineage talking about who begat whom and you know, they lived you know, a long time in Genesis. And there comes a section of scripture down there where it says, and Lamech begat Noah. And basically, let me paraphrase that verse there, hoping he would be the one God was going to send to restore the rest. So that verse is saying, Noah kind of sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. And Lamech said, oh, maybe he's the one. God promised there would come somebody who would restore rest to the earth, to our lives. <laughs> Throughout all scripture, there's always this talk about a Sabbath rest. That where someone is coming to restore the Sabbath rest. And Jesus here is declaring himself the rest giver. <laughs> In the next chapter, in chapter 12 of Luke here, or Matthew, excuse me, Matthew records down, he actually quotes Isaiah, that Jesus was going to be 
well, he was going to be gentle and humble in heart because he's going to be the rest restorer. And he said, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is saying to come to me, everyone who is oppressed, everyone who is restless, everyone who is afraid, everyone who, who doesn't know, uh, who is afraid to, to pursue God or pursue, or pursue their faith, to deepen their faith, no matter what the issue is, everyone can come to me. I will give you rest. The world has no remedies for you. The world has a peace, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't give you rest. Learn from me, he says. I will give you rest for your soul and I will make it so you can address God as that Abba, Father. And he says this, take my yoke upon you. You can't believe all on your own. Don't try to pray all on your own. Don't try to say, okay, the day I've got to tough it out, I'm just going to do it. No, you enter into prayer saying, he's the rest giver. I have to trust him to help me to pray. I have to help. Lord, I'm trusting you to begin with. I'm just going to trust you to guide me today in how I should pray. Help me to follow Jesus' pattern the best I can. I'm just a child learning how to clean up his room, learning how to brush his teeth. I'm just a child learning how to wash behind my ears. Jesus says, come. I'll give you rest. I'll help you. I'll help you. Take my yoke. Take my yoke, you know? And for my, for I'm, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll do most of the pulling. And that's how the yokes were back in those days. The yokes, as they were training young ox, oxen, they would always pair it with an older oxen that was stronger and more mature and knew what it was doing. And so they would, they would design these yokes to fit both oxen and the stronger ox and the more mature one would do most of the work as well the, the little one the weaker one with it was given its share but not it, but it could never have handled the the task without the stronger oxen and that's why jesus said slip my yoke upon you trust me i'm the rest giver you know yeah you have to give your all we have to give our all to jesus you have to give your all but it's not anywhere close to what you're going to need to get to heaven. <laughs> but you've got to give your all, but I'll do most of the pulling. Amen. I'm the rest giver. Well, loved ones, after all the instructions, and we're, we're clo- we'll call close here now with you, after all these instructions, after all the understanding, after all the encouragement, there comes that time that you, we have to act. God will not believe for you. He's not going to make you put on the yoke. You have to willingly put on the yoke. Submit yourself to Jesus. Learn. Learn from Jesus. Learn who he is. That he's the one who's gentle. He's not going to clobber you. He's not going to hurt you like the... He's going to offer you the things that help you. The things that provide rest for you. The thing the devil took away, he provides rest for us. He'll provide rest for the world. And that's what he's going to do when he comes back. The rest giver. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there comes that point where, you're, you know, if you want to jump off the diving board, the instructor can say, okay, you walk out and you just jump up and you spring, you know, and okay, you can get your momentum going and the instructor gives you all the instructions and all the instructions and, and then you finally say, you're ready. 
but I can't jump for you, David. I mean, I've given you everything I know to give you. You can do it. You got all the ability, you got all the skills. Come on, you can do it. Practice. That once you can be a great have a great meaningful prayer life. You got all the you got all you need. Jesus is going to help you. Father, as we leave today, I want to thank you for your kindness in showing us your ways and thank you, Holy Spirit, for just conveying to us the uh, the truth of the Lord, the, the, the easiness, the loving kindness of Jesus to our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, that you are the rest giver, that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Matter of fact, Father, this next, that next chapter, that's all you talk about is the Sabbath and then you heal tons of people on the Sabbath and Oh, it's amazing. And you upset the devil's servants as they, as they are mad at Jesus. Lord, you, you're amazing, Father. How, how Jesus is amazing. How he's the rest giver. and that He's the one that you promised that would restore rest to a chaotic world. A chaotic world of our lives. So we thank you today. Father, we would pray today that you would help us to see that we need to take care of our faith. That, uh, that it matters to us. Let's take care of our faith. Let's, let's just begin learning to pray as we trust the rest giver. As we just know that, that we believe you exist and that you're going to reward us as we obey what Jesus says to do. We love you today and in Jesus' name we pray your help to us. Amen. Let's stand today. Thank you so much for your kind attention and uh, you know... Uh, Encourage somebody before you leave today. Give them a good handshake, a good smile, a good, a good word.